Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. The next 10 minutes are inspired by a sports philosophy and an old rhetoric professor. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to The Engine. The first thing I learned when I went to Cal and joined the rowing team was that everything was competitive. Everything. And I don't just mean, you know, practice. I mean, somebody says, hey, let's go to the I-House for lunch. They say, okay, well, let's go. Let's walk this way to get there. And I was like, no, I think it would be faster to go this way. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you go that way and I'll just walk this way and, you know, we'll see who gets there first. And no joke, the second you can't physically see each other, say I go left and you go straight, the second a building comes between us, it's a dead out sprint. And now it's uphill to get to the eye house. It's the top of the hill. And people are run, like trucking as fast as they can to get there. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. The, the competition was bred into us. Just anything you did was competitive. And, and of course, the group of guys that, that were spending their time rowing a stupid boat up and down the Oakland estuary, these were competitive individuals. So it fit, it fit the characteristics really well. And, and there's a reason for it. it. It was not just competition for competition's sake more competitive you got, the better you got. And and I don't think this is a difficult thing for most people to understand. If you have somebody racing next to you and you want to win, you're going to push harder than if you were racing a ghost. Just nobody there and you're just kind of rolling along doing whatever it is you're doing. The more competitive you get, the faster you want to go. And if you're next to somebody who's also competitive, the faster they're going to go. And you're going to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And you'll do anything to win after a while. And that's what makes a great oarsman. This unrelenting acceptance of pain and suffering with the end goal of winning. Now, this is not unique to rowing, obviously, when, whenever you do uh, training somebody for fighting. Um, or, or in the jujitsu world, you want to train with the best people you can, the toughest people you can, the most competitive people you can, because those people will push you and you will get better and better and better. And usually when people are coming up, they find one or two training partners. And it's if you are just, if one person is just ahead of another, or if you're really even and you don't know who's better, if you can get those people together, every day and have them beat on each other then they'll both get so much better if you have somebody who's really really good and somebody who's not that great you know it's it's kind of it's a foregone conclusion but again the more competition you can breed the more you can make that part of the culture the better people are going to get the problem is it's incredibly uncomfortable and there's no way around this. That's that's the other thing I realized very quickly when I got to Cal. like, oh, this is not going to be fun. And and it wasn't. It wasn't for a good amount of time. It was it was really painful, just emotionally and, and mentally, feeling like everything I did was being judged. Everything I did, somebody else was trying to do better. Everything I did was was coming under scrutiny. And it was, this was not me imagining it. Every single thing I did, it was like, well, I could do that better. Or, well, I did that better. 
and for a young person, that's very tough for a soft person. I shouldn't say young. For a softer person, that's, that's a difficult thing to, to live with, to absorb, to, to exist in that world. By the end of my time at, at Cal and on the rowing team, I didn't care at all. That's exactly how it should be. Judge and prepare to be judged every day. And I got very comfortable with that discomfort. What was interesting is I realized at Cal that although this competitive edge was obviously the correct cultural trait when producing the best athletes. It's not accepted as something to produce the best thought. <laughs> and, and I remember this distinctly. I was 20. I was in this rhetoric course. Contemporary and classic social theory. And the professor, Guterres, was an amazing guy. I, I loved his classes. And the whole nature of rhetoric is that you understand, you study means of persuasion. So it's not, it's not enough to say like, okay, well, I think it was this. And somebody says, okay, well, I, whatever, that's, you're entitled to your opinion. Right? There's no persuasion there. The whole nature of the, of the class, the whole nature of the major is understanding how to persuade people. So somebody might say, hey, I think it's this. And you're like, okay, look, that's a great idea. I like that. What about, what about this little issue with that, though? And then they, they have to give a little bit. They have to give a piece. They're like, okay, yeah, look, I like 98% of this, but that 2%, I'll give you that 2%. You're like, yeah, yeah, 98% is good good but like what about this other five percent over here or like let me explain what you're saying in a slightly different but analogous way that obviously you'll object to then you've got to give you more ground right so the whole nature of it was going back and forth and back and forth now mind you the the person you're talking to not supposed to be this passive actor they're presumably trying to take pieces from you you're taking pieces from them and and you're you're kind of like boxing right it's like a chess game with words like boom boom going back and forth, back and forth. And as with rowing, initially it was a very interesting thing. It was like, oh, we're just going to argue? Like, that's okay? Or we're going to debate? Or we're going to... And somebody brought this up in class one day. And Professor Guterres said, look, when he was a grad student, he said, when I was a grad student and I went to a conference, I was blown away by the way these people would talk to each other. They, they would just look at each other and say, okay, well, that's just flat out wrong. And then they'd start ripping, ripping to shreds this person's point or their argument or whatever they were, whatever they're doing. And the person that was getting verbally attacked, so to speak, would go right back. They'd hammer right back, left and right, left and right, pop, 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 pop. And, and he said he realized at one point, he's like, oh my God, it's essentially like having two giant linemen on a football field, slamming into each other, trying to just flatten the other person. And then at the end of the play, they help each other up and they go to the next play. He's like, that's what it was like. These people 
would beat on each other rhetorically, just hammer each other and then help each other up. You know, they go out and get drinks and they enjoy a meal together. They're friends. And that's how you created the best thoughts, the best ideas. You would go into these rhetoric courses with some pathetic little idea and you'd get the snot beat out of you. The, the professor would just rip you to shreds. You'd get your papers back and it was just blood red everywhere. And initially it's really, really uncomfortable. But the longer you did it, the more you got comfortable with being uncomfortable in, in a thought, thoughtful way. Not feeling like you had the answer. Being comfortable acknowledging that, man, your premise may not stand up. But by the end of it, by the end of my time in the rhetoric department, I could go back and forth. I could have my position attacked. I could defend my position. I could, I could discuss different concepts. I could have lengthy, lengthy discussions and debates with people without being upset about it. And, and people, people observing were like, oh my gosh, you guys were like, do you have to like call them? I was like, call and apologize. We, we were literally talking about the merits of an iPhone. You know, like nobody should be upset by this. But although these people that would say these things say like, well, should we apologize or, you know, what, whatever the hesitation was, although they were themselves tremendous athletes and understood the merit of competition for self-improvement athletically, there's this big disconnect with thoughts. And as I'm getting older and older and older, I see this as an enormous, enormous problem. Because the older I get, the more I realize how difficult and multifaceted even simple issues are, simple concepts, things that seem just black and white. And especially with today's news system and the news cycle and and the way things are presented. It's impossible to get the full story or a real story. And the whole nature of what, what even is real anymore. It's so difficult to get that and understand it quickly. It takes time. It takes a lot of time. And thoughts you may have or ideas you may have may need to get the snot beat out of them so you can fortify yourself you can you can cut the dead wood off you can you can solidify your position solidify your argument understand your thoughts completely and not just have this half-cocked pathetic position that falls apart instantaneously when somebody pushes on it but that's what we're doing we're coddling people's thoughts and allowing them to be safe and be you know, untouched, so they don't have to feel that they need to defend them or, or, or anything like they don't feel attacked. They, they have these safe spaces. But man, all that does is make a weak, weak thought. And until we can teach people to be strong with their thoughts, be strong with their concepts, be strong in conversations, encourage them, and allow them the space to develop a hard 
shell. And that means not rescuing them, but let them come under fire for their thoughts and, and develop a thick skin. Until we can help people do that, nobody will be able to tolerate the discomfort that comes along with having your ideas and your thoughts smashed down. Even though they may know, even though everybody knows, that pressure cooker, that force, that competitive edge, be it in rowing, be it in football, be it in fighting, be it in debate, that competitive edge solidifies, or excuse me, not solidifies, but allows you to get a better position. It allows you to be more developed and to be more thoughtful and to be more right. If we are to define right as an idea or a concept that holds up the longest and the best. So the next time you get into a conversation with somebody, the next time you, you start having a debate or you go back and forth, maybe consider how you're feeling. Consider how the other person is feeling. You know, it's good to have an out. If somebody doesn't want to talk about something anymore, that's good. That's fine. Have a safe word. Say pineapple. I don't know. Whatever you want. But if you have two willing parties, see if you can prolong the discussion without getting upset and without having to stop it because of offense. And see what that does to your idea. Present your ideas. Don't be so guarded. Present your ideas for competition and see what happens because I'm willing to bet if you give that a shot and you do it enough and you take an honest assessment, did I get crushed or not? The more you do it, the better thoughts you're going to have. Just give it a shot. I'm Matt Todd and this is the engine that drives me. Go out and crush it.